The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks so much for coming along today to the Forum. This month, we're doing the Forum at the Flicks. Um, that was just kind of a short montage we have of some of the greatest films considered um, in, of all time. So I'd be interested to see how many of you maybe recognize those, have seen those in the past. Today, we have um, an expert kind of in this area, kind of uh, in the idea of, of the intersection between film and culture and also God. And uh, Adrian Drayton, um, last night was one, one of our panel discussions we had at the movie event um, last night with The Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which was uh, actually a, a fascinating film and a great discussion, and it definitely be worthwhile engaging with that. We'll have some of those um, highlights of, of that coming up later. But uh, today, we're going to be looking at The Lord of the Lens, Can We See God in Film? And uh, today, Adrian's going to look at kind of the whole notion and idea of the storytelling of um, what we see in film, but also how it can relate to God. Well, Adrian, why don't you kind of, oh, here, let me, yeah, why don't you come on up and I'll just explain too. Maybe it's your first time coming along to the forum. Um, what we do is usually we go look at a portion of the Bible, looking at um, a specific topic within the Bible. That's what Adrian will be talking about here today. During that time, we'll have on the screen an SMS number that you can send in your questions. If you have questions for Adrian during the talk, or if you uh, don't have an SMS, we also have a small slip of paper and a pen that maybe you got, received when you were coming in. Just write down any questions that you may have. And at the end of the talk today, we usually leave a good portion of time for us to be able to interact with the speaker. So we'll, um, we'll be able to ask either via SMS or by written question. Any uh, questions you may have about the topic today, or uh, maybe some of the topics we've been talking about over the last few weeks. So, well, Adrian, welcome. It's your first Thank time you. officially speaking at the forum. You've it been is. on a few of our panels. You were on the, the panel that we had um, just a few weeks ago, but uh, this will be your first time coming along. Why don't you tell us just a, briefly about yourself, um, who you are, and maybe a little bit about your family? <laughs> um, I currently work as the communications and marketing manager for the United Church. I have my background is in communications and journalism. I sort of started many years ago working for Australian Consolidated Press. So for about 17 years I've written and critiqued films um, and it's always been an avid passion of mine. Um, uh, yeah, I've got three children. Um, they're 9, 12 and 15. So yeah. There you go. Nice and challenging. There you go. Challenging you marry, maybe? I'm married yeah, to yeah. Joanna, uh -huh. who uh, works for the Baptist Union. Um, and yeah, we we have a very full life. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Well, I, I have to ask you a question because uh, last night was that we had a full house last night. It was a great discussion on a kind of, uh, especially Dawn of Plan of the Apes of all films to be able to discuss the Bible, God, and then looking at an ape film. But yeah. what do you think of the film? I'm just kind of curious what you thought I of the film. I really liked the film. It was interesting because we said afterwards people wanted to know what we thought of it. I, um, it's very few films I actually look forward to, and that was one of the ones that I was looking forward to this year because of the storyline and the way they've told the first story. Right. Um, I think, from what we're talking about today, it's the perfect film. Oh, wow. Like, um, you can see so much in it in terms of parallels to the Christ story and the Gospel, um, but also it's just a rollicking good film. Like, it's a really well-made um, film with fantastic special effects, 
Um, and it's, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I even enjoyed it. I, I saw it already, and uh, that was the second time I saw it last night, and, and it was very enjoyable even the second time. And in fact, that first sort of five minutes still did the whole um, goose flesh at the back of your neck thing for me, that whole way they set it up, which there is an go. indication for me that it works. There you it go. just works. Cool. Uh, yeah. Well, I can't wait. I think you'll really enjoy the talk today. I'll leave you to it, and uh, yeah, we'll get back to some questions here in a little bit. Thanks. Great. So today I'm sort of hoping that we can um, discover how it's possible to find God in film, because that's the point of the talk, really, isn't it? Um, and to even suggest that you might be able to find God in film, we need to look at a number of things in culture. Uh, we need to look at entertainment. We need to look at the origin of storytelling. Um, we need to analyse why film has become the kind of primary st- storytelling medium for this generation. But I'm going to start with an exercise. So I'm going to read you out the synopsis of a film, and I'm just waiting for how long you get through the synopsis before you before you un- before you can tell me perhaps what the film is. Uh, synopsis: That somebody comes to Earth, makes friends with normal everyday people, who invite him into their lives and homes. He transforms these people's hearts by the message of love that he brings. Two things are striking about this individual. Firstly, he longs to communicate with his real home and secondly, he possesses a supernatural power to heal which he uses to cure those around him of their afflictions, capturing their love and admiration. The authorities want him for other reasons and pursue him relentlessly. Tragedy strikes and to the heartbreak of his friends he dies, leaving them devastated and feeling alone. His loss is profoundly mourned. Then, much to his friend's surprise and adulation, he rises from the dead and departs for his true home, leaving his friends with the promise that he will be with them always. So, can anybody guess what the film is? E.T. It is indeed E.T. So, there you go. So, that, that... That synopsis is quite fascinating for me because really that's what happens in the film and it seems very obvious that it's a parallel to another story some of us know probably really well. Um, So I'm also going to say, just at the outset, I'm a massive Star Wars nerd. (laughs) Just going to put it out there. My name is Adrian Drayton. I'm a massive Star Wars nerd. And although I'm not like a comic-carrying, action-figure-hoarding type nerd, I just um, was, you know... The prospect of another film being made next year has kind of made my year. Let's just put it that way. Um, and like many people of a certain age, I'm not going to reveal it for a little while perhaps, Star Wars really did have a huge impact on me as a younger person. It's really not possible to undersell the cultural impact of that film in 1977. I recently was um, looking through some uh, a book called Star Wars Year by Year and it, It's a massive 500-page tome about all the cultural implications the film had, all the comics it spawned, all the merchandise it spawned, all the action figures. Um, It was just a massive deal for filmmakers and writers. And um, I think many people, even filmmakers, cited it as an influence on their careers. Um, And I think the fascinating thing for me is it's just a very very elaborately well-told good versus evil story. Um, and it's also pretty easy to forget that the amount of impact it had had people lining up for it like like we do with some films now 
that was the age when people like waited around for two days to get a film, to get a ticket. Um, and in some cinemas in the US, it actually ran for a year. So every day for a year. And looking back recently, I was reminded of a book that came out around the same time called The Force of Star Wars by Frank Allmart. You can probably look it up in, if you want to Google it, you can do that. Which looked at how the Force equated to the Bible. At the time, I probably didn't realise or understand all the insight into the film's theological underpinnings, but I was 12 at the time, so that's probably not a leap, really. Um, these days, with many more films made every year, often being anticipated for months, even years in advance, that, that has, that's kind of the ripple effect of Star Wars, I think. And as someone who's written and critiqued films for about 17 years, there was another film that came out more recently in 2004 called... Um, Real Spirituality, Theological and Theology and Film in Dialogue by Robert K. Johnson. It opened my eyes again, many years after The Force of Star Wars, to the ways in which film could be read from a spiritual viewpoint. But in the process, also made me aware of how storytelling itself has its origins in the Bible. Johnson opened my eyes to the intersection of faith and film in a way that hadn't, I hadn't really thought of before. And he subsequently became somewhat of a mentor because I'll, I can talk about this afterwards if you want to talk about it. He helped me set up Real Dialogue, which is the uh, faith and film intersection website that I run. So he was kind of formative in helping me put together Real Dialogue here in Australia. Um, what came after Robert's book was many other books on the subject. There's probably 15 or 20 books on the subject. And I think once I began to analyse films in this way, I always used to be a bit deflated when I talked to somebody about the kind of theological underpinnings of a film or um, how metaphorical or allegorical or related to other things in culture. And they'd just go, I just want to go to the cinema to, to be entertained. And I'd go, hmm. So then I actually looked up the definition of entertainment in the, in the dictionary. And its definition is... To receive into the house, to engage the attention of, to receive or engage with a view to consider and decide, to take into consideration or to entertain a proposal. I guess the important nouns in that definition for me are engagement and consideration. So that whole thing is I just want to be I just want to go to the films to be entertained. I think that's that's proof that there is something behind entertainment. If you've ever gone to a cinema with friends, you'll notice everyone takes something different away from the experience. If you go with five friends, they'll have five different opinions when you walk out of the door. George Miller, who directed Mad Max, Babe and Happy Feet, said of cinema, I believe cinema is now the most powerful secular religion and people gather in cinemas to experience things collectively as they once did in church. Cinema storytellers have become the new priests. They're doing a lot of work of religious institutions which have so concretised their metaphors, sorry, that's quite big language, taking so much of the poetry, mystery and mysticism out of religious belief that people look for, pla- look for other places to question their spirituality. I don't think we fully understand yet the need for people to gather to listen to a story and the power of that act. Miller makes a very powerful point about storytelling. There is and always will be power in people gathering to listen to a story. Going to see a film is one of the few places, other than church, sporting matches and probably live theatre, that people experience something exclusively together. 
But his comment about people looking to other places for their spirituality, like films, is why it is such an important medium to take note of. There is no doubt that there is power in a well-told story. Everyone loves a good rollicking yarn. I do. That's why we go to the films. We love a powerful hero, but sometimes we enjoy films purely because they make sense of life for us. Um, so, for instance, if you experience forgiveness in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, um, creation in a documentary, Travelling Birds, the power of family and unconditional love in The Blind Side, or the power of friendship in The Shawshank Redemption, I think these ultimately can be transformative experiences. We can't get drawn into these films because we can relate to them. That's the power of a well-crafted story. And perhaps the reason for this creative and crafting is that, as Genesis 1 states, sorry, God created us unique among his creation and created us in his image and likeness. That's called Imago Dei. If we think about it, God himself is the original storyteller. Genesis begins with his opening narrative for humankind. Don't you think it's interesting that the Bible begins with in the beginning and that those three words aren't unlike a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away (laughs) or it was a dark and stormy night or once upon a time. All the ways we enter into stories in whatever medium have kind of been shaped by those three words. We are motivated to tell and create stories because we are image bearers of God. So the origin of storytelling can be traced to this God-given impulse to create and tell stories. It's no surprise that the Christ story is embedded in ET if you make those leaps. Do we always get it right? Not necessarily because our Imago Day impulse, if you like, no matter how distorted is inherent within all all humanity. Even if we don't know God, we all worship something. And often we are revealing what we worship in our Imago Dei impulse. For instance, how often is Hollywood criticised for its storytelling? How often do we say Hollywood glorifies violence? It's all about sex and profanity? Or is basically churning out films year after year to make money? Michael Bay, we've got your number. (laughs) Um, but when a story works well, it's on so many levels. Um, it engages and captures our imagination. I mean, last night was a perfect example. We had a lot of people who were really engaged with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. They, we had an interesting discussion afterwards. Um, there's no secret that Jesus was also aware of a, the power of a well-told story. Most of his stories were, were of people like us. A business owner needed some work done and went out to hire labourers, he begins. Or a woman was standing in her kitchen one day baking homemade loaves of bread. Jesus' wide variety of stories became legendary throughout his ministry. The Good Shepherd's Compassion. The Rich Young Ruler's Eye of the Needle Revelation. The Lost Son's Plight. The Persistence of the Feisty Widow. Without exception, his stories pointed to lessons of truth and ultimately a grander vision for the listener. Is it really no surprise then that films use everyday life experiences to teach, inform, entertain and transform us and that the leap is often made to films as modern day parables? 
the truth is that since the beginning of motion pictures, filmmakers have used the Bible as their source material. The first blockbuster was by Cecil B. DeMille. It was silent. It was the Ten Commandments, which he remade again, again in 1956. He then followed it with The King of Kings in 1927 and remade it again in 1961 and The Sign of the Cross in 1932. So now we kind of move into some... When you, when you Google spiritually significant films, there's kind of a top ten list. And I want to walk you through some of them because they're quite interesting in what they reveal about the gospel story. The first one is The Inn of the Sixth Happiness in 1958. This is a true story of Gladys Allwood, who is a British missionary in China. Um, she runs an inn while spreading the gospel in China and she ended up being embroiled in World War II and leaves a hundred orphans, orphan children to safety. Barabbas is a fictional account of a man who was set free instead of Jesus. We all know that. Um, Barabbas was played by Anthony Quinn and the whole story is told from his point of view and he obviously faces crucifixion at the end and then he becomes a Christian. The greatest story ever told is the story of Christ from his birth in Nazareth to his resurrection. The Rogue was nominated for five Academy Awards and based on a Roman centurion who oversaw the crucifixion of Christ. Vardis tells the story of a Roman legionnaire who's in love with a Christian woman causing many complications. This also, the film also con- contains a lot of scenes of Christian martyrdom at the hands of Nero. Ben-Hur. Everyone would know Ben-Hur. Charlton Heston stars as a Jewish prince who falls from power during the time of Christ and it actually tells the story of his conversion. King of Kings is widely regarded as one of the better films um, told about Jesus' life. Jesus of Nazareth is an interesting film. For me it was quite interesting because Robert Powell is blue-eyed and he's quite weird looking for that thing. <laughs> um, the Passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson directed the movie and it's about the last 12 hours of Christ's life told in fairly graphic detail. The Ten Commandments is another big one. Um, it's the story of Moses' birth and life in Egypt and his flight with the Jews to the Promised Land. And it's, at the time, its special effects were considered cutting edge. Um, then Jesus of Montreal, this might be one you've not heard of before, which is a group of actors who put on an unorthodox but acclaimed passion play which incites the opposition of the Catholic Church um, while the actors' lives themselves begin to mirror the passion. Um, Bruce Almighty then is the last one of course which is basically a guy who complains about God too often and is given the almighty powers to teach him a lesson so the interesting thing for me about all these films is that not all of them are straight interpretations of bible stories some are very creative fictional films that analyse the bible from a different vantage point similar to Noah and the upcoming exodus even though we talked about this in the panel a couple of weeks ago, um, if you were there, we talked about the fact that Noah caused a huge um, furor when it came out because of its interpretation. But I think it's interesting throughout the ages, 
people have interpreted the Christ, the gospel story very differently. So, to keep barreling on, I want to go through what culture is. And a dictionary, def, dictionary definition. Cultural activities or commercial products reflecting, suited to or aimed at the tastes of the general masses of people. I like to think of pop culture as a bit of a behemoth that is fed by what people want to see. Culture is... We should be concerned with culture because the primary reason is that um, I suppose we, what we consume, it gives to us. Um, popular culture is worth attention first because it's a form of human culture expressing the creativity of people in the image of God, our Imago Dei and cult again. But it's also important for us to recognise that what we consume will be put in front of us and that um, we need to speak into that conversation. So, it's a really dense quote there from Francis Schaeffer, who's a theologian, that talks about um, how, why we should consider art and creativity as part of life. As evangelical Christians, we have tended to relegate art to the very fringe of life. The rest of human life we feel more important. Despite our constant talk about the Lordship of Christ, we have narrowed his scope to the very small area of reality we have not appropriated. The riches that the Bible gives us for ourselves, for our lives and for our culture. The development and continuation of culture is not a surprise to God. But it is a legitimate outworking of our original, original mandate God gave us his creatures in Genesis 2.15. What we watch, read and listen to shapes us. It's kind of a formative liturgy, as Laura Bennett told us two weeks ago in the panel. She used the expression formative liturgy in that it's the, what we consume forms us. So now we get down to my three Ds and we're getting closing, closing on the conclusion. 3Ds. See what I did that there? 3Ds. So, the 3Ds of film engagement, they're important when engaging with films to get the most out of them and perhaps even encounter God in them, going back to our original idea. Discern. We are bombarded in culture with all sorts of images. Discernment is the key. I think that the problem with passively consuming culture is that you run the risk of taking on its messages without even realising it. Um, we don't want to be, as Ephesians says, tossed here and there by waves and carried out by, about by every wind of doctrine. Also, films come packaged with very salient messages attached to them, particularly when they're at cinemas and you see the DVD box. They um, tell us what they contain, whether it's excessive violence or sexual activity, but be warned, the label clearly states that... So if, if you have issues with excessive violence or sexual activity, um, it's been handily labelled, I suppose. And let's be honest, not, film is, not every film is worth entertaining in depth. So most Adam Sandler movies probably don't fall into that category. So the second D, second D is to decode. Normally if you have a strong emotional response to a film, it's because it's come into conflict with your worldview. 
If you have a strong reaction to a film, there is a term for the bodily response someone has to external stimulus. It's called the phenomenological response. There you go, there's your take-home word for the day. This response can be easily manipulated by filmmaking technique. Scenes edited together to cause suspense, soundtracks coming to a crescendo at an important point to make the jump, or the exhilarating action set pieces created through CGI technology. Have you ever have you ever seen a review where someone's called the film they they were viscerally um, they were kind of affected them viscerally? That's the bodily response or the phenomenological response. So we have to remember the film as an interactive medium, and you bring we bring our expectations to the reading of it. So the third D is to demystify. What is the film saying about the particular subject? Do you agree? Disagree? The key is to consume without is to consume is this key is to consume but think carefully about the messages the film presents you with because movies shape and reflect our worldview how film embodies the virtues and values of society and how a Christian worldview is expressed through a medium is very important so in conclusion storytelling is ingrained in our collective DNA by all means, respond emotionally to your movies, but please don't stop there. Respond intellectually as well. It's very important to recognise that being part of a larger conversation is a great starting point for teasing out how culture affects the world and shapes our values. And also, just as we are in awe of God's creation, we shouldn't dismiss our Imago Day, that part of us that connects with God and inspires us to continue to create. And remember your three Ds. This all might seem very technical information and very involved, but by all means, allow yourself to get totally caught up in a story. I do. It's just I like to be able to interact and engage with a story and understand how that fits into our culture. Um, so consider David's response to God's artistry. The heavens declare the glory of God. and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I encourage you to find God's story in popular culture. Allow a film to move that part of you that acknowledges some aspect of the divine. Thanks. Thanks, Avery. If you have any questions, we already have some questions that came in by SMS, but if you do have any written questions, towards you, you'll be able to pick those up for me. Or if you just want to send in your questions, please do. And so we've got a few minutes here, Adrian, so I'm going to go ahead and get started if that's all right. I'm ready to go with some questions. Thanks so much for uh, sharing what you did today. I'm going to start off with this one. Um, if movies are like parables, which you mentioned, Jesus' mm-hmm. parables or stories, and the cinemas like churches, do movie writers um, consciously try and shape their audience's belief? And are they aware and deliberate um, in, the, in the, that they have an agenda? Absolutely. Which is why engaging with them is so important. Because whether it's a negative or a positive message that they want to get across, you need to be engaging with that and, um, I guess, interacting with it. Because I think when you have a problem with going to a film, like if a film affects you quite badly and you have a problem with it, it's coming into conflict with your worldview. So the more um, the more sort of I suppose the more information you have at your disposal, a way to decode that information is really helpful. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if you're if you're 
familiar outside of kind of Australian culture and all that, but the, the next question is, this seems to be kind of a conversation in Western culture in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you compare that to the influence of film on, say, Asian cultures or Middle Eastern cultures or African cultures? Um, it's interesting because recently um, the, was it the Transformers film yeah. came out, and I think there's a, uh, it did better in Asian Territories, yeah. other parts of the world, than it did here. Biggest movie in China's history. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think there are definitely some stories that speak into um, other cultures more than they do here. Um, I think it, it is a. I don't necessarily think it's a Western message. I think being able to, to um, see the messages in films is helpful, whatever um, film they are. I mean, I, one of the best films with a gospel message in it that I can remember is Babette's Feast mm-hmm. and that's subtitled um, and that's not a that's another western film I can't even remember the name of the filmmaker but there's a lot of uh, Spirited Away it's a really interesting film in that it has some interesting messages about um, psychology or all sorts of things well, go ahead, just go ahead expand on that because I think Tor has a question for you but um, yeah. Do you think that sometimes the films are as much a reflection of the culture as the culture is influenced by the films? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, people make films about about things that people want to see. If they didn't, they wouldn't make any money. Um. There you go. Tor, did you have a question? First one, in discerning, how do we discern wisely? Do we compare the Bible interpretation with the worldview? Absolutely. Yeah, I think absolutely you do. Your Christian worldview, if you are a Christian, if it comes into conflict with the worldview in the film, you need to analyse why that is. You need to say, I don't agree with this because this is what um, God says about this subject. I, I, I think film, for me, film's always been a conversation. I do enjoy films, but they always give me ideas that I may never have thought about before. They give me food for thought, but I, that's why in talking about it today, I want to engage with them because I want to make sense of how a film makes me feel, if that makes sense. What do you think of this observation? Is it a coincidence that movies last as long as the average church service? <laughs> <laughs> well, I recently heard a quote I'm trying to remember who, who it's attributed to, actually. It says there's more information given in, a, in your average film than there is in your average church service. <laughs> Ouch. Um, I don't know, maybe it isn't. Because, I mean, it's, it is a, it's a form of storytelling, isn't it? And so, if, you know, when a person delivers a message to church, that's a form of storytelling as well. I don't think it is. Do you have any more to work? Are we good? All right. Well, this... Oh, actually, no, we've got a couple more coming in. All right. What film in recent past, or just recently, would you say demonstrates Imago Day that may have fallen under the radar that you maybe would suggest to people? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, sometimes my preference of the films are kind of slip under the radar. One of one one that I've really, the one film I've really liked in the last year, which is, it was probably quite a big film, it didn't necessarily slip under the radar. So it was an Australian film, The Sapphires. Um, yeah, that as a work of as a 
created piece of film it was very moving and um, yeah I can't there, some, I, I think sometimes I, you see a small like often a film like Dendi and places that often show films only for a very short time mm-hmm. and sometimes those smaller films have very interesting things to say about the human condition sometimes more often than a mainstream film does um, maybe it's something I can answer offline okay. I could come up with a yeah, list yeah, what we'll do is well, since we did that last time, if you go to Facebook, we do have. Um, there was a question asked last time about um, films on forgiveness, mm. as opposed to just films on revenge. We put up a top, I think, a top five or top seven list on that. So maybe yeah, yeah we'll build we'll up maybe look some other ones. Yeah, so we'll be able to do that. All right, well, probably last question because we've got to we have to conclude unfortunately. Do you think um, some filmmakers deliberately seek to create controversial Christian films? And, and overall, do you think that that's detrimental or beneficial in advancing the whole idea or message of Christianity? I think, yeah, some filmmakers do go out of their way to make cause controversy. Um, I can think of a classic example is The Temptation of Christ, The Last Temptation of last Christ, which is a huge deal, N- not a very, not necessarily a very good film, made a big impact in the Christian community and that everybody was called a blasphemous and all that sort of thing. I think the problem with that sort of film is it goes away very quickly because the filmmakers realise, oh, we've done, you know, what have we done here? Um, films like Noah, um, I think because they're sort of going out to a wider audience, they kind of gauge the response from the Christian, Christians and non-Christians and they just take the leap. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with Exodus. Um, but yeah, controversy. I think some filmmakers do set out to make controversy because that makes headlines and it makes people go and see films. All right, well, thanks, Adrian, so much for today. And I'll go ahead and just do a couple of announcements. Well, thanks so much, Adrian, for being here today and uh, kind of sharing with us. We'll be here again tomorrow um, down at the other end. And then I um, just want to make sure, just give you a few announcements of some of the things coming up at the forum. Um, or actually around at City Bible Forum as far as an organization goes. Um, starting on the 30th of July, Ian Powell um, is going to be kind of going on looking at some of the bigger questions that are sometimes asked about the Bible. You want to engage with and maybe consider um, what is this whole thing of Christianity and who is this Jesus? Um, Christianity, a short course for the curious, um, starts on the 30th of July. Um, it will be at 6 p.m. It's free for you to come along to. Um, you're, Please come along if you're interested, and Ian Powell will be um, heading up that discussion coming up then. If you have any questions specifically about it, Mark's here, Mark Mailing's here, and he would definitely love to answer any questions in regards to that. Also inside your outline, you'll see, um, as we mentioned last week, Cosmic Chemistry, Do Science and God Mix. Professor John Lennox will be uh, uh, putting together, actually had put together a brilliant talk in regards to the fusion of Christianity and science. It's going to be on the 25th of August. We recommend you come along, invite people to come along to this event. Um, it's going to be a fantastic event, and you really, I think, will enjoy um, Professor Lennox if you haven't had the opportunity of hearing him before. And finally, um, next week, especially even last night, we, we saw in this film um, this topic and this idea of the hero that never dies, why resurrection 
the standard hero equipment in films. Mark Hadley is going to be looking at that as far as film, but then also how that correlates with the Bible. And we were able to even see that in the film last night, not to spoil anything for those who haven't seen the film yet. But definitely worthwhile considering when you look at some of the heroes of how they many times die, just like we had with the E.T. story um, and all those things. Many times the films really aren't that original. They're maybe taking from maybe the bigger picture of the meta-narrative of the Bible. So we thank you so much for being here today. We hope to see you all next week. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.